everybody, I'm Amber Rose, the Religious Hippie, and I host the podcast A Catholic's Perspective. Join me every two weeks as I release episodes targeted towards helping young Catholics navigate their ever-changing secular world while staying strong in their faith. Whether you are a Catholic or not, all are welcome here. So if this is something that interests you, feel free to tune in. You can find A Catholic's Perspective on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Bye! Life is a quest for logic and reason. It is a quest to find balance between science and faith. Life is a quest for knowledge and understanding. But most importantly, it's a quest for personal discovery. Whatever your quest, knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. Welcome to Quest. Hi everyone, I'm your host, Todd Fisher. I'm the founder of Metatomics, and I'm on a never-ending quest for knowledge. A quest is a search for something, and this podcast will show you how we know what we know through interviews with people that have incredible stories of dedication and perseverance. To me, curiosity is part of what makes us human, and there's still so much we don't know. I believe there's joy in discovery. It's what drives us it's our quest. And with that, welcome to season four of the Quest podcast. I hope you enjoy this next interview. Hi, editor. Welcome to the Quest podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, I'm really excited to have you today. Um, you know, people that know me know I'm a big fan of dance. It's been a big part of my life. And you are one of my favorite dancers ever from Dancing with the Stars. Um, so I'm really happy to have you here today. Thanks for coming out. Well, thank you. Thank you. And thanks for being a fan of the show that has, um, thanks to people like you, the show had such an incredible uh, spin life. It's been 31 seasons right now, I think. Yeah, it keeps going. Yeah. Quite incredible. Yeah, it keeps going. Never, never ending show. You know, dance is really fascinating for me. Dance is, is, to me, it's art in motion is what it is. And I, and I think that you exemplify this more than anyone. And uh, dance is a fascinating thing because I think that really good dance can evoke an emotional response, just like music can, <clears throat> or a good movie or painting or poetry, you know? And, uh, it should, yes. And dance, and what's really great, what I love about it, watching performances is a dance can be beautiful and romantic and it can be aggressive and angry. It can be peaceful or sorrowful, you know? And of course it's celebratory for so many. And when you see dance performed well, it can move you. And you are one of the best in the world at doing that. You really are. Oh my goodness, thank you. That is an amazing compliment, thank you. Yeah, it's just really, really amazing. And I'm a fan of all forms of dance. I ran a dance education company for many years. And, uh, and I, I just, I, although less of a performer myself, more of just wanting to, uh, you know, influence people with it. And uh, I think more people should get turned on to dance. And it's unfortunate because I think when we see times get tight, we start to see recession, money gets tight. The first thing that happens is people pull their kids out of dance. And in ways, I think we've lost generations um, of dancers because of the economy. We've lost generations of dancers because a lot of parents would put their kids in athletics over dance. So um, I'm always out there to try and cheerlead for it if I can. 
I think there's a lot of truth with uh, truth in what you're saying. And it's also maybe um, a bit of a stigma that dance get that I'm kind of fighting through right now with my son that uh, only girls dance, particularly in the United States. Uh, my son is eight right now and I would love him to dance, not for him to become a ballroom dancer. But I think as you said, dancing is an amazing thing for kids and grown-ups is great physically it's great mentally there's um it's great for coordination there are plenty of studies that talk about how dance can um can uh, it's very healthy for the brain it's one of the things that can delay alzheimer um and all sorts of diseases so but there's this stigma that um that only girls dance and my son he i would love him to do it Every single time we sign him up for the class, he says, Mom, I don't want to do it because there are only girls there. Mm. So, I've noticed, so a, um, I've noticed a lot of like ballet facilities and things will offer up instruction to males for free just to get them into the class because there's so few. And uh, it's, it's really fascinating to see how, you know, at least in the U.S., how the country works in terms of what, if it is dance, what boys are interested in, which tends to lead toward hip hop and things of that nature. But it's always amazing to me to see, you know, a male flamenco dancer perform, you know, it's just become such a rare thing to see. Um, and I think if, if there isn't a bigger movement to get boys interested in dance, it, dance could change a great deal. Um, I want to so you see, I, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I just wanted to imagine. I thought that Dancing with the Stars would do it. And they, because you had all these athletes dancing and they did so great. So many of them I danced with, at least three. I danced with heavyweight champion Evander Holyfield and uh, with Lawrence Taylor, um, uh, a legend in football. And they were really, really good. There were, uh, Emmett Smith won the show. But I, I feel like it was kind of novelty, and I'm not sure if it's actually translated to boys being more attracted to dancing. Right, right. I'm not sure. Well, let's let's go back and talk about Little Edita for a minute. You grew, you were born in Poland. Tell me right. how you grew up. Did you have a large family? What was what was it like growing up in Poland? Well, you know what, uh, Poland living in Poland at that time when I was growing up was tough. We were still um, behind the Iron Curtain and uh, things were, you know, just <laughs> things were difficult. Like things that uh, we take for granted here in America, um, we didn't have. We didn't have, we would stand in line sometimes to get uh, toilet paper. Actually, that people can relate to after <laughs> last few years of pandemic. But, you know, we would only get oranges for Christmas. Uh, we are bananas. We we had ration uh, cards for meat. So we only got to buy a certain amount of meat per month. Uh, so I grew up in a big family. I had three siblings. Uh, my parents are very hardworking people. Uh, both of them taught me uh, an amazing values, how to work hard, how to respect other people, how to be honest, uh, how to value family. Um, I grew up Catholic, as you might know, Poland is 99% Catholic. Yeah. Uh, so my, so I went to church every Sunday. Uh, and, you know, and even though things were tough and I remember not having the things that I have right now or my kids have, I can't say I had 
bad childhood. Like I don't look at it like that. I've never went to vacation. The only vacation I had growing up was going to my grandmother's village when we would run around, run around fields and uh, go to the nearby uh, creek or you know help help my grandmother out. It was a like a proper farm. Uh, but I also learned there a lot. Like my kids, some of the kids don't know how things grow. Like they would see, they don't know how potatoes grow or tomatoes or uh, or other vegetables. It's it's really funny. Like some kids, you would ask them, they don't understand that ketchup comes from tomatoes. <laughs> it's it's really bizarre. Or French fries come from potatoes. Yeah. Um, so I learned all those things growing up. I would help my mother. Um, pick up potatoes I was like digging the ground and I, I I thought it was great fun we were digging in the ground and um, we were picking up um, cucumbers and cherries and apples so I I felt like I had a very happy childhood probably because my parents were so very supportive supportive and loving but yeah. we definitely did not have the things uh, the abundance of opportunities and 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 just things that we have in the United States, the right. amount of clothing and easy access to everything. I even going to a supermarket, when I left Poland, things started changing. So we were more open to the Western, um, uh, Western European countries and the Western culture. But even coming here and going to a supermarket and seeing those, you know, almost uh, the apples lined up in a perfect little pyramid, almost like someone um, shined them and then put them, put them up like on a display. It was incredible for me because we didn't have it. When did you take your first dance class? I, I, there was a dance class going on in my uh, elementary school. Uh, and basically, well, let me start from this, that dancing in general in Eastern European countries, uh, ballroom dancing in particular, is way more popular and it has always been than in the United States. So for me to kind of go uh, almost, I would say randomly to a ballroom dance class was not a strange thing. Even right now, I feel like most of the ballroom dancers that are even here in the United States came from Eastern Europe, Russia, Poland, Slovenia, Czechoslovakia, or their parents are from Eastern Europe and they uh, kind of steer their children towards ballroom dancing. So I started dancing at nine, pretty late. My parents didn't really uh, push me to it. There was just uh, a, a, a dance studio from Warsaw was offering classes in our school and I took it and I loved it and I never stopped since then. It, it was, uh, when I look back at it, it's, you know, obviously I had no idea what's going to come out of it, but it was just kind of this thing. I always like to dance and I always like to move to music, but it was just kind of this thing that made me happy. Sure, sure. So those first classes you took were ballroom, is that right? Yes, straight wow. up. And yeah, I was, they were- I was uh, curious because like in, in the US, you hear you know, little kids getting ballet tap jazz, you know, that's like the right. thing in America, right? And many times very competitive. That's a competitive world too. And- um, yes. And so, but it, but in Poland, it wasn't like that. You didn't really start with ballet tap jazz. Is that, it's different there? No, and I actually never did ballet tap jazz until I moved to America because it's not a thing in Eastern Europe. Mm -hmm. Ballet is, 
but ballet is more of a serious thing. So let's say my mom, actually, that was my mom's first thought. She didn't know what to do. She, she had a kid on her hands that she knew I liked to dance. Her first thought was ballet because she didn't know any better. So she took me to a ballet school when I was five and they told her and they, they did a little um, evaluation, as they say. It's a, it, it was a, the Warsaw um, Theater Ballet School. And they said, yes, she's great. Now you got to put her in a school um, for, I was five years old. I have to, I have to stay in that school. I have to sleep over there. So it's a boarding school and I'll be dancing, you know, whatever, three hours a day. It was like straight up, straight into a very serious training. And my mom said, wait a second, what if she doesn't like it? Like, I'm not ready for this type of commitment. And she just say, no, I can't, I can't do it to my child. I can't put her into, into something that I don't even know if she will like. It's just too much. Right. And, right. and, um, and I feel like in America, there is an option in between. You can put your kids in a little tutu classes when they are three or five years old. And then you can slowly develop into something. It can slowly develop into something more serious if the child shows interest. In Poland, it was pretty much either ballroom dancing. There were no schools for jazz and tap, and it, it was not a thing. Yeah, yeah. So in those in those early classes, was the ballroom taught to be sort of in a in a competitive nature, like the dance sport world, or was it taught to be social, a social dance? The class that I took, I feel like it was. Uh, a lucky coincidence it was thought by a competitive teacher and he was associated with a competitive school hmm. so there is a, a fair amount of social ballroom social dancing but this particular school is competitive so when i finished my classes at the at my school i actually just transferred to the dance studio that was associated with the teacher and continued at, at the proper dance school so it was, uh, it was actually steered competitively to the point that I knew my, if I want to progress forward, I need to find a partner and I need to go to a competition just to kind of see what it is. And I did drag my friend from my class who had nothing to do with dancing. He didn't even like dancing, but I knew he liked me. <laughs> I was, a, I was a, it, it was so funny when I look at it I was only nine years old but I you know I love dancing so much I said I need a partner can you please do it for me and he said yes and we went to a competition wow wow how old were you when you came to the U.S. I was 20 20 what was that transition like for you did you move to LA was that where you went to first no not at all I moved to San Francisco I met my husband at a ballroom dance competition in Blackpool, England. And he was looking for a partner and I was looking for a partner as well. At that time, I was kind of in a transition period between uh, partners. I was dancing with someone, but I knew it's not a long-term thing. And basically, I decided to give it a go. I, I finished a semester at, uh, at school, at the university, and I went, I came here for the summer and I just stayed well what was was it a culture shock to go from being in Poland and, and get winding up in you know San Francisco area 
it was not so much of a cult culture shock for me at that point because at that point I already started traveling to competitions in Europe. So growing up in Poland, if you brought my me nine or ten year olds to ten ten year old editor to United States, it would be a definite culture culture shock. But because of dancing. Uh, I started traveling to competitions to Germany and Austria and England. Uh, and that's part of dancing that also I loved because it gave me opportunity to see all these places and to meet all these people. And also things in Poland started changing. Remember the Berlin Wall collapsed in 1990 and uh, it, things just changed. We, we were not isolated anymore. And we uh, the Western culture was much more accessible uh, and the economy was open. So things were better, uh, life became better. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't, oh, good. right. It, it, it was it, the, the biggest thing about the United States, I think I remember uh, the biggest difference from Europe was that everything is so much bigger and grounder here. The cars are bigger, the roads are bigger, the freeways, the houses everything is bigger. Uh, so that was a bit of a, wow, the food is bigger. The portions, the restaurants were enormous. I, I, I was kind of shocked by the, the Starbucks, you know, uh, a little coffee, coffee cups. Like we drink espresso in Europe and here you have this 24 ounces cup. Oh, yeah. like a bucket. <laughs> so that, that was like my biggest observation. So you, you were in this competitive dance uh, industry all over the world, going to competitions everywhere. How did Dancing with the Stars come about? How did that work for you? How did that come about for you? So Dancing with the Stars, it's a show that originated in Great uh, Britain and it was called Strictly Come Dancing. So the show had few, few seasons in England before it came to US. And I knew some of the dancers, some of my friends from ballroom world, that I had all over the world from different countries that has done the show. When the show uh, came about to US, basically ABC Network picked it up. Uh, Andrea Wong, who was the head of uh, entertainment division of, uh, or uh, she was a head of alternative programming at ABC at that point. She saw the show in England, she fell in love with it. And she said, I wanna bring it to US. So they started looking for dancers and they spread the word that they are doing auditions in uh, Los Angeles. And at that point in my life with my husband, we were not quite sure if we want to continue the competitive career. We love dancing, and uh, but the competitions, it's a different animal. Competitions are very, I feel like they take away from the artistry of dancing almost. Right. I, I, I realized we ran a dance studio in San Francisco and we were doing yearly performances, shows in a theater in Palace of Fine Arts, beautiful venue in San Francisco. And I realized that I enjoy the performances on the stage when you pick your own music and when you do your own choreography and when you can express yourself uh, fully. I, I liked it a lot better than the competitions. So let, let me just give you a picture of what competition is. A big competition is, let's say, the ones in England are like 200 couples in one category. So you have 200 couples. They split you up in teams, in groups, and you dance with 10 other couples on the floor. 
you dance your little routine that you trained, that one routine, there are several dances, but there's this routine that you practice, but it's whatever music the organizers play. So it is a cha-cha, but it could be, you know, it could be any song that has a cha-cha rhythm and you dance with all these people and you get bumped into and you have to uh, kind of steer your way on the dance floor. So, and then they cut off half of these dancers and then the next round has hundred dancers and so on and so on. The next round has 50 and then you get to the final when you have six and one couple wins. It's very, so it's not only the artistry, I also have to think about there are all those sort of things like you need to stand out. You might be a great dancer, but if you don't stand out, you might get lost in the competition. So there are a lot of things that uh, take away from the actual quality and and the emotion of the dance at the competition and I didn't like it and also just the just the fact that you compete against someone puts a different kind of pressure on you I feel like performance performance itself in front of other people puts pressure but I don't mind that pressure uh I I don't like uh the the competitive part that you have to beat someone right well, that's my, that's always been my philosophy on this. There, I don't feel there are any losers in dance, and that's one of my problems in America. When I I walk, I could walk into a ballet tap jazz studio in nearly any town in America, and there's trophies on the wall, and it's oftentimes driven by awards and trophies and things of that nature, which leaves a lot of people as losers in dance. And I feel that's a terrible precedent to set in a lot of ways. It it is it is. Uh... It's, it's a very tough question because I know that, for example, children love competitions and you, uh, and you have competition everywhere. You have competition in any sport, basically sports are based on competitions too. But dance is specific because I feel like dance, it is a sport. Don't get me wrong. I feel like uh, dancers have to be just as athletic as any other athletes in any other discipline. I think yeah. Dancing with the Stars, Dancing with the Stars even had a segment about how they were competing, comparing our speed to the speed of some of the uh, some of the athletes or the impact of our movements. Yeah. Um, ESPN did that uh, segment. It was very interesting because, and we train like athletes. We train just as much, and we have to be in this top top physical shape to be able to do what we do. But it's also an art, and um, you know, you know. Uh, to be honest with you, I think it's very individual. To some people, the competitiveness of uh, of these tournaments or, or competitions is very appealing. For me, I prefer the performance part of the stage, and I think everyone just has to find their own niche. I would say. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you know, different governing bodies of different types of dance have different ways of dealing with this. Like in the Irish step dance community, there's a ranking system. There is someone every year who is the number one greatest the leader. ranked one, uh, you know, of the greatest Irish step dancers in the world at any given time. And those are the ones that lead the river dances and the, you know, the, th- the things like that. And um, so it's really interesting kind of to see how this, how this works. Um, yeah. I want to ask you, so you did, you did like 10 or 11 seasons of Dancing with the Stars. You at least did the first 10 right in a row. I think you came back later on uh, yes. for a season recently. 
Tell me about the Dancing with the Stars experience. It made you a household name. What were the pluses and minuses to that? Ah, Dancing with the Stars experience. Oh, gosh. Uh, I feel like as a dancer, we were lucky to come across this opportunity because as I mentioned to you, it, Dancing with the Stars happened in my life when I was about to quit the competitive dancing and I didn't know what else to do uh, with my dance career. I was kind of considering my options. So Dancing with the Stars gave me an opportunity, me personally, to do what I love in much more fulfilling way because I also um, got to, I got to choreograph my own dances. I got to uh, dance in front of large audiences. I got to work with very interesting people. Some of the, some of my partners were uh, amazing personalities, the best in their trade, actors, athletes, singers, uh, and just people that I met during the show. Now as experience, it was a it was a bit of a roller coaster because you never knew who you're gonna get um, uh, at who you're gonna get to dance with. So sometimes it was someone easy to teach, sometimes not. Sometimes it was a great dancer, sometimes not. You had to uh, adjust to that. Uh, it was emotional also from the point that uh, there was a lot of pressure. Dancing with the Stars, those first season when it only came out, had huge ratings. It it had, you know, 25, 30 million watching, people watching at home. And if you thought about it, I remember that moment when you come down the, the stairs and, you know, you have that awareness that, oh my goodness, the show is live and you have all these people watching you and you really don't want to trip and fall and you don't want your partner to mess up. So there was a lot of pressure and a lot of work incredible amount of work i feel like every season people worked harder to tap the season before so from yeah. practicing two hours a day it became three hours a day and then four and obviously depends on the person not everyone could do that but it became harder and harder uh so you know if you stayed on a show and if you weren't eliminated you worked for two three months straight without a day off yeah. uh and and it was, and, and, and these days were long. They were. And, and let me ask you, that, that actually feeds into my next question. I'll go ahead and just kind of bring it up quicker. The mm -hmm. viewers at home only really see the excerpts of what training is like from week to week. That couldn't be an accurate depiction of the hard work that goes into this. But then the other part of me thinks, are these celebrities coming in and they're shooting, you know, six hours one day and they make it look like they've been working the whole week? Like, is, what, is it an accurate depiction of what was going on? Well, you do see only snippets of what's going on, but uh, the accurate, first of all, it's very individual. So some celebrities have, they still work, have schedules mm -hmm. uh, and they can't commit uh, to long practices. But uh, I I had partners that we would, that I practiced with for five hours a day. We would have two sessions, particularly getting close to the finals, because you would have two or even three dances that you had to learn in one week. Wow. So... Uh, um, it, it, it's, it's really a tremendous amount of work. And on top of it, you have all the interviews and group rehearsals and uh, dress fittings and, and all the kind of the logistical and behind the scenes uh, things that you, that are attached to the show. It's, it's, it's a lot of effort. It's way, I, I must say that physically and, and mentally at times it can be much harder than, than even, um, uh, 
being a competitive uh, ballroom dancer. Well, wow. well, you you danced with uh, Evander Holyfield, George Hamilton, Joey Lawrence, Jeffrey Ross, Geraldo Rivera, and a bunch of others. Who was your favorite partner? Oh gosh, not a fair question. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well you don't have to answer it. Who were you most surprised by? Can you answer that? Yes, yes, that's an easy one. I was most surprised by a football player called Jason Taylor. Um, I don't really know who he is, but when I when I was told that he is six feet five tall, he was enormous, incredibly tall. I thought there's no way this guy will be able to dance. Just because when you are this tall, you can't move quick enough uh, that those particularly Latin uh, dancers require. There's a fast footwork and change of directions and agility that you just cannot have. Uh, and he came out being incredible in the uh, classical dancers, like the walls, which I thought might be okay. But he was great in all those Latin churches and salsas. Uh, so that was a biggest surprise. But, you know, I, I, I'm i the type of person that I was trying to enjoy every season, regardless whether I'm dancing with someone who's a good dancer or not. I love dancing with George Hamilton. He was, you know, he was already older and he could really barely move. But I must tell you with... And he didn't like to work hard either. <laughs> he was, he was this, um, he was, he was an actor that was a last actor signed by MGM. He was this uh, old era, you know, the big studios uh, era actor. So he had, he had this demeanor about him that everything he does, it's, it's about his persona the, uh, and about the image that he, mm, that he, kind of puts forward. And, uh, but he was great in a sense that he was very creative and with a minimum amount of actual dancing because his physical body also couldn't do much. He was, right. he had knee problems and, and hip problems and, and all kinds of things. He did an incredible job. So he would know how to put the show uh, on with the costumes and the music and with a feel for it. He really, uh, he really taught me a lot about how the little details are important and how you can, uh, you know, because as a ballroom dancer, I didn't have much stage experience. He taught me a lot about how to create a performance from the artistic point of view as well. Wow. I want to go back and ask you, you mentioned um, dancing with the, the guy that was six foot five. Let me ask you kind of about let me, let me go ahead and talk about that for a minute. I'm six foot two. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think that the height and whether they can be a good dancer is dependent on where they hold the height? Because some people have really long legs. Some people have long torsos. Does that make a difference in dance where the length is at in a person? You know what? Uh, yes, definitely. I, I, I think as I learned, uh, I think, for a professional ballroom dancer, six feet two is it's probably doable. There are a lot of, so uh, let me go back to one thing. So ballroom dancing is divided into two categories, the uh, modern, or they call it standard dances, like waltz, foxtrot, and quick step, where you dance in frame with your partner, and the Latin dances, uh, cha-cha, samba, rumba, paso doble, jive. 
I think six two it's absolutely doable for the standard dancers. It's a little tougher for the Latin because, as I said, it's quick and the footwork. Uh, but it's probably doable. There are dancers that are this tall. Uh, where do you hold your body weight? It depends on so many things. It's very, very individual. Mm -hmm. It's it's your body is your tool and and everyone is different. And I, I feel like everyone can dance, but, uh, you know, competitive on dancing is like, you know, can everyone play basketball? Yes. Can you, can everybody be in NBA league? Probably not. Right. I, I certainly think in, in seeing the visuals of dancers, you know, long arms with certain dances looks look great. Long legs for certain types of dance look great. You know, mm -hmm. and I think that's certainly a big, a big part of it. There, you that's know, for it, sure. Been, oh, good. Yeah, that's for sure. Your body type will determine what type of dances you will be best at. Yeah. Uh, even from my personal experience, I, you know, I, if I'm kind of, I'm not very tall, but I, uh, I, I'm kind of long for a dancer. My my limbs are long, and I would prefer I prefer dancing more lyrical and slower dances. I enjoy all the sambas and cha cha, but I'm best at the. Uh, the slower dances that require more of an extension movement rather than quick footwork. Sure. And then you have dancers that are shorter in size and maybe exactly their weight is different and they are, they feel more comfortable with, with those fast yeah. uh, pace dances. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, it's interesting with uh, reality television and I'm, of course I'm lumping dancing with the stars into this in, in a way Um you know, the competition shows have been around a long time. Um, Star Search was around in the 80s. There were all kinds of things. You, you would see a lot of TV dances. But I think to, today, uh, what we have with American Idol, Dancing with the Stars, they're the biggest hits of all of these that have ever been made. And I, I consider Dancing with the Stars to arguably be maybe the second most important talent competition in recent television history after American Idol. I think American Idol really kind of set a standard for you could do these big uh, performance and competition type shows. What do you think the appeal is to an audience for content like this? What does the viewing public enjoy about shows like this, do you think? Oh my goodness. Uh, let me start from maybe Dancing with the Stars. They're a little bit different, I think. Uh, with Dancing with the Stars, I feel like there's something mesmerizing about it. It's what uh, the lady that picked up the show from, from ABC uh, Network, Andrea Wong, told me. She said, I have nothing to do with ballroom dancing. I've never went to a competition. I don't really dance. I don't even like dancing. But when I saw the show, I just could not stop watching it. And I was thinking, what is it about? And it's, I think it's the journey of the people that enter to this competition and how this competition affects them and where they start and where, where they end up. And just uh, probably American Idol uh, made more of an impact in terms of uh, cultural impact because you have these kids that dream of being becoming, of becoming stars and they come from these small towns or from wherever they come from. And then they have an opportunity to become, I mean, there are several winners that became household names of uh, American Idol, Kelly Clarkson, um, who else was there? But the, there, there are so many of these singers. I know that the guy, the, uh, Daughtry, 
Catelyn um, yeah. McPierce. Uh, there, there are so oh Jennifer Hudson. I mean, I, I, I probably forgetting half of the half of them, but there are so many that just became made an incredible career out of it, and I think that's what's what's fascinating for people to watch that journey. Yeah. And with dancing, the same. You have these people, a little bit different way, but you have these people that mm, have never danced before. Well, now it has changed. There are a lot of people that actually have danced before that are in the show. But I think the original appeal of the show was you take people like Evander Holyfield, who is a heavy world, a heavyweight world champion, who has never danced before, who... Uh, or Emmett Smith or Lawrence Taylor and you mold them into dancers and they come out after just weeks of training and they do these incredible things and they really improve and you can really see how how it can be done and I think that's the most fascinating thing yeah it's true the fish out of water scenario is always interesting to see how that how that goes do you uh do you still watch the show now I not really. I see the snippets on social media here and there, uh, but n not really. I I might just because just because of time. Simply, um, you know, if <laughs> when you are a parent and uh, of two kids and you you have your own, you you have the whole. It's it's funny to say, but it's just uh, you know when I have to pick and choose, I feel yeah. like I've I've seen so much of dancing and I and. Unfortunately, I must say it, that uh, as much as I absolutely love Dancing with the Stars, after 31 seasons, it does get a little bit repetitive. There is very little that you're going to see out there that you haven't seen before. Sure. Let me ask you this. Uh, were, you, were you one of those performers that liked to watch the show back after it was over? I know you're there, you're living it, and it's live, and it's in front of the audience, but did you watch the episodes too, or did you not want to do that? Because I know some people don't like to watch themselves. They don't like to watch themselves in films or TV shows. They just do the performance, and it's done. What was your process? You know, I, al I, I always did watch performances back because I felt like it can be a learning tool. It's, it's the, the way things feel, it's different than the way things look like to the audience. And it's, I always felt like it's good to see and good to learn for me and my partner. Uh, so I would always watch it back uh, with a very critical eye, unfortunately. I would always see the worst. Um, always watch it back and try to improve on it. See what, what really needed, what stand out, what was that thing that we need to work on for the next week or in a back in a competitive day so what is the thing that we need to work on for the next competition yeah. have your kids watched all your old episodes they have seen some of the dancing uh they 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 would not last the whole episode unfortunately <laughs> they are they are they're too still too little um but they've seen me dance and uh, as they grow they became more aware of what i was doing and what my husband was doing uh, they are more interested in it. Uh, my five-year-old daughter, she just kind of starting to dance, uh, but they like it. They they like watching it, and they they think it's um, it was they 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 figured out already that it was something very special that I was that we were doing together with my husband. Yeah, yeah. that we did not have a regular job. <laughs> yeah, what's your favorite ballroom dance? Uh, rumba. Rumba. Okay. I noticed on your IMDb that you had a television episode that you did of CSI New York. What was that experience like? Oh my goodness, that was great. You know, 
that's that's one of the one of the things that you know growing up in Poland I wish I did more so I danced and um and I loved it but when you when particularly when we moved to LA uh you see all these opportunities there so and there are so many people that are very smart about it and they do the right thing they don't only do one thing they uh they try different things and and they learn different things and they um and they want to find what what's the most appealing for them so uh just after moving to us i started uh, trying different styles of dancing so i did a bit of ballet a bit of flamenco i took flamenco classes uh some contemporary some lyrical and then when we when i moved to los angeles together with my husband we went to some acting classes and i feel like you know not not that i was uh, wanted to be uh, to become a, an actor but i feel like there is fair amount of acting in dancing i mean i can we dance rumba as i said that's my favorite dance i dance numerous rumbas with partners um other than my husband and uh, it's our job to make it to make it look like it's a real emotion for those two minutes that you're on the dance floor it's just like acting yeah i mean obviously um so we we took acting classes and i really really loved it and i feel like if i tried that earlier in my life uh i feel like acting is the most rounded form of expression uh you know i haven't tried singing but uh, it's a ve- it's a very powerful form of expression and digging into your emotions and i really loved it so that just came about you know from the class uh, um someone yeah. said they are doing episode if i want to audition and i did and just did a low gig and it was a lot of fun yeah you're absolutely right that you know the the, the lines are blurred between so many things now you know singers can be models models can move into dance dancers and athletes and like it's all sort of all getting jumbled up in a way but it, you know modeling is acting you're just not mouthing the words and you know taking acting classes as a as a dancer, as a performer is important because you can learn to emote in many ways. You learn how to work in the lighting. You know, there's, I think all these things can be married to one another in a way. And, Absolutely. Uh, and I, and I feel like a lot of dan- a lot of actors that were dancers that started in dancing. There's a few of them. Uh, I think Natalie Portman did some dancing and Charlize Theron and John Travolta that can help them in acting too. Just yeah. the physical physical way of expression. Um, so it goes both ways. Yeah, for sure. I want to change gears and talk about something else for a minute. This is so. What we're going to get into next is actually the original reason that I reached out to you. Now, certainly, I wanted to hear all about your dance career, which has been incredible and fascinating. But I follow you on Instagram, and I, we're going to go back in time a minute to May first, where you made a post on social media that really grabbed my attention, and I want to I want to talk about this. So. Um, you know, if anyone who listens to my quest podcast knows that this always leans a little spiritual and religious, and I try not to invite guests on purely because, uh, you know, of an entertainment element. And I find it refreshing when a public figure isn't afraid to talk about religion and spirituality, because I don't think it happens enough. And you posted a family photo back in May, and you and I'm going to just kind of paraphrase what you wrote. Special yeah. day for our little guy. No matter what's your religion, faith, faith gives us sense 
that there's something greater than us and a conviction that there's good in the world. And you wrote, I grew up Catholic. I believe it helped me become a better human being. The golden rule from the Gospel of Matthew is universal in everything do to others what you would have them do to you. And then you went on to say, and for the record, my husband is Jewish. And you put, we share the same values and intend to expose our kids to the traditions and values of both religions. And I thought that was amazing. And I think this was in reference to your boy's first communion. And I love that you shared this. And I asked you in our original email, would you be willing to talk about this? Um, yeah. Because I feel that many celebrities will share every mundane detail of their life and sometimes even take pride in like these scandalous or TMZ worthy stories. Why do you think so many public figures don't like sharing that they're spiritual or religious? What, why hide that? You know, this is, uh, I really haven't thought about it, but maybe because they don't want to turn off part of the, their audience uh mm -hmm. claiming some kind of religion i feel like a lot of um a lot of celebrities or actors don't do it um uh, with their political views as well because if they will proclaim they themselves being one on one side or another they might turn off uh you know half of the audience uh, and i feel like that's why some of them don't do it uh, whether it's right or not i'm you know i'm not going to comment about it and so perhaps that's the reason uh but you're right they will share what they eat for breakfast and you know the children's birth and hospital pictures and all that but not their religion uh for me as i you know as i mentioned it's it is a very personal thing but i'm i'm very happy to discuss it because i feel like religion religion is uh it's it's a it's a it's a big part of my life, but in a sense that I feel like it did make me a better human being. And uh, the values that I, that I have are in a big part of my parents' uh, uh, upbringing, but also uh, the culture that my parents were in. And very much my parents grew up in a Catholic culture. Now, the funny thing is that my husband has never been to church before he met me and we have exactly the same values that's that's why we clicked we married that's why i moved here mm, so i feel like it, it is an important thing to to rem to keep in mind when we raise our children and whether now where are you going to get those values that is an individual thing but I feel like they, they didn't come from a book or from school or from, they, they came from mine and my husband's um, upbringing and his upbringing, he's not um, orthodox, he's not uh, very religious either, but his parents are Jewish and their values are also uh, brought up from that religion and from that tradition. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you mentioned earlier about, you know, actors not wanting to put those parts of themselves out there, I did have an actor tell me one time that as an actor, they want to always be a blank slate that can take on, you know, right. whatever type of role is necessary. So the less that they that the world right. knew about them, 
the better off. Like many times their names are changed. They don't say what hometown they're from, you know, they, because they want to be able to portray anything. But if you kind of come up in the acting world and people know, you know, that you're Jewish and you're Italian and you're like, all of a sudden you sort of get typecast a certain way. So I do kind of get that in a way. Um, but, uh, you know, I want to mention like, uh, so in season, I think it was season three of Dancing with the Stars, Mario Lopez was on. And um, Mario is one of the most openly Catholic actors out there. I mean, he wears this on his sleeve and wants everyone to know how Catholic he is. And he's gotten a lot of resistance about that. But I really admire that he's been, I've been out there supporting it the whole way. And, uh, I, you know, I, so I think it's really interesting what people want to share. I don't know what's right or what's wrong or the reasonings, but I admire that you did anyways, you know. <laughs> Well, thank you. You know, I have not thought about it. It's just, it was, um, it was a very special day uh, indeed. And I just wanted to share it with the world. And, and I, I feel like everyone, there's so much controversy about religion right now. There's, uh, there's a lot of discrimination, religious discrimination as well. And I just, I felt like it's important for people to know that, uh, the religion can does not have to be divisive, that there is a common language, that the religion, no matter what religion, brings some common value. It makes it it gives us guidance, it makes us happier, it gives us purpose sometimes. Um, it it gives us gives us faith that there's something bigger, as I said in my post. And no matter what religion it is, without any judgment. Uh, and I, I just I, I just wanted, I, I, I'm hoping, I was hoping that, I wish that more people would understand that instead of saying, oh, you're Jewish or, oh, you're Catholic, oh my goodness, you know, you, right. and they, people, people tend to be very, very judgmental about it. You know, it's interesting because when we scheduled this interview, we had no idea that this, in this last week, um, you know, the, the nation would be so polarized over Kanye West's comments. Now, this episode won't come out. We're recording this right before Halloween, um, but it won't come out until uh, until December. But Kanye West made disparaging comments about the Jewish faith. <laughs> and that's kind of the big story this week. And what I found interesting, Edita, on social media all week this week has been Jewish actors, performers, athletes coming forward saying, I'm Jewish and I stand with my Jewish friends and they're condemning Kanye's comments. And it's some, in many cases, it's the first time I've ever seen some of these people that I follow in social media ever speak of their religion. And I had no idea that they were Jewish. And I'm wondering, is this the only way people are gonna talk about their religion is if someone's disparaging it? Is, do you, do you see what I mean? Right, right, right. Maybe, maybe if people were more open about it, it wouldn't be such a um, such a such a big thing to um, for Kanye even to criticize it. But um, I, you know, I I feel so so sorry for that man because I think he just has mental issues, and unfortunately, he has an incredible, incredibly wide reach. Yeah. Um, and I do respect him in many in many regards. I think he's a brilliant person, but he, I think he's mentally ill. And I am so sorry to see him um, go down this 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 route, this hate um, uh, speech route that he has taken. And it, it's 
it's very hard to see. Uh, now you're right. Yes, people came out, and I that's a good thing. But uh, you know, there are equal amount of people that uh, because of Kanye's comments sh- has shown um, hate towards Jewish people. So it goes both ways, and right. it just uh, it's just very divisive. Yeah. That's the problem. You you uh, you seem to enjoy social media. You post constantly, dancing, teaching kids, things like this. But you did get some heat on Twitter. I was going back and looking at some stuff that posts that you made about COVID and masking. Do you find yes. what kind of responses do you generally get as a public figure and being kind of a household name? Do you get a lot of people that criticize you about things? Are they kind of watching every move you make to be an armchair critic to what you do? Or do you generally have a pleasant social media experience? In general, uh, I do have a pleasant social media experience. I, you know, I mostly, <laughs> let me say it this way. So social media can be a platform to promote whatever you are doing. And it has been at a certain point. And then it became, you know, I I don't take people that follow me on social media for granted. And I know they, some of them started following me when I was on Dancing with the Stars. But now I have a lot of friends and family I remember my family is back in Poland and I have a lot of friends back in Poland and a lot of posts, I also do it for them. You know, it's much easier for me. Maybe maybe I should open like a private private account and just uh, share it. But it just somehow mold into this, uh, you know, instead of me sending pictures to my mom and then to my sister and then to my cousin and my niece, I just post something and they know what's happening in my life and, and they can they can kind of follow it. And I do get a positive response uh, about it. Uh, not mentioning that, you know what, it, it's a bit of a, uh, an album for me. Like if, I, if I'm, I'm, sometimes I'm looking back at the post and I can see what we've been doing in our, you know, the, the most interesting, the highlights of what we've been doing with the kids and with my family. Uh, so that's a, that's a fun part about it too. Yeah. It's almost like a photo. It's almost like a photo album, uh, like a like a a diary, like a video or picture diary. Yeah, it is always interesting um, to go back and look at, and then you realize, wow, I was posting stuff seven years ago. You know, <laughs> it's like if right, 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 exactly. But I did get negative feedback, and I I knew I would uh, on Twitter about masking and 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 stuff like that, and I I stopped posting it just because I wanted to. So I'd post something just if something made me really mad or really uh, upset or or something was really absurd, uh, I would post it and I kind of regretted it because I wanted to then answer to people that made hateful comments and I would get into these conversations and arguments. And after a while I realized that I'm not really going to change anyone's mind. They have to change it for themselves. And by arguing, it affected me personally. Um, for a couple of, you know, for, for that uh, couple of hours when I would post that and then answer, try to answer people and argue with them, I, it would make me upset and, and um, in a bad way. I had this, this negative feeling about it. And I, and I decided, you know what? I'm going to keep it to myself, whatever thoughts I have. I can talk to talk about it with my friends and my family. I'm just not going to put it out there because I don't want to waste my time on right. all that hate, on all that hate and negative feedback that I'm getting back. 
And when you say something controversial, like about vaccines or masks, you are, it's a guarantee you're going to be getting this negative feedback. And, you know, and what should I, what should I do right now? Should I go back to these people and tell them, hey, did you, did you hear that uh, in New York, uh, the governor just reinstated all the people that lost their jobs because of vaccine status? And now they're going to get their payback and they have to be hired back. Should I, am I proving something to anyone? I, I feel like people need to get information and they need to make decisions for themselves. And unfortunately, yeah. I, I am not in a position to do it. I'm not, I'm not in the position to give them that information, to argue with them. Right. Um, it's just not my priority. If if I was a, a media person, if I worked in media, if I worked for a, a news network, that would be my job and I would do it, but it's not. And I just don't want to waste my energy on it, unfortunately. Yeah, and Twitter's the worst. The People in Twitter just sit around waiting to criticize something. <laughs> I think that's really all it is, is everyone just wanting to tear apart everyone else. I think Twitter is one of the worst platforms for that. Um, well, hopefully it will change now, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see how it changes now. <laughs> how it changes, yeah. Well, I, I, I feel like uh, Twitter has became this platform of right of, of, of hate. Um, but at least maybe now it, the, it's going to be a little bit... I'm, I'm, to be honest with you, I respect people's views and I am very big, very big on freedom of speech. And I feel like that would make me mad. Not, not the things that people would say, but the things that you couldn't say. Yeah. Um, and that, that was, that's my biggest problem with Twitter. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, we've seen these platforms come and go constantly. You know, it doesn't matter whether we go back to bulletin board systems or America Online or MySpace or Friendster or whatever right. it was. These big platforms all fall because generations move through them change you know, there was right. a generation of people that used the telephone that was attached to a wall you know and like and people migrate away from certain come from communication platforms as they get older and this type of social media that we live in today your kids might not be living in when they're older it might be something no. entirely different right um, and you're right each gener actually i feel like each generation has their social platform and mm -hmm. um twitter is somewhere together with Instagram and now, you know, the, the young kids, the teenagers are into TikTok and um, um, a couple, probably TikTok is the biggest one, Yeah, I would say, uh, but you're right. When my kids grow up, there's going to be probably a new social media platform that, my grandparents, that will emerge. My grandparents were German and when they, um, you know, when I would grow up at their house, they were still letter writers, even though they had a phone in their home, they, they very seldom ever picked up the phone to call anyone because letters were what they knew. But my parents on the phone, they were the on the phone generation, picking up the phone and calling someone and talking forever. And it's just, it's really crazy to see how technology evolves. And I'm hoping that your kids don't have something as detrimental to their mental health as we had by living through this social media, because I think we're going to find in the future how damaging this was to us in many, many ways. I, I absolutely agree. Like a lot of people don't understand that when uh, you or me, when we go on Instagram or Facebook or whatever it is, 
we came to it as formed individuals. Uh, we, we can look at it from a bird's eye view and we understand what it is and we understand um, the, the reality. But a lot of kids, it, it's a huge problem for teenagers. I have a niece in Poland, she's 15 years old and how social media can affect her. It can be really scary because they don't know that the pictures that they see are not necessarily real, that these are not, uh, that this is not the depiction of the real world. Uh, so I, I would be very, very worried if I worried if I had a teenager in my hands that uh, that was on Instagram nowadays. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and as we're wrapping up here, um, tell everyone you're still teaching. What's what are you doing? What's the latest with you? Are you are you performing <laughs> anywhere? Do you do you, are you just are you offering classes? What's what's going on in the business side of you? So you know what I'm not. I don't. Uh, I'm not still teaching. I just started teaching actually. Uh, so um, let me let me give you a little little kind of review. Basically, after Dancing with the Stars, me and my husband were doing stage productions for uh, theaters. We did the theater tour with one of our shows for uh, private events. We did some at, in Canada at Fallsview Casino. We loved working there. Um, and then I had kids <laughs> yeah. and traveling, uh, traveling and touring with kids. It's incredibly hard. I did it when my son was one year old. And apart from, you know, some of the months on Dancing with the Stars, you know, I probably lied to you. The hardest experience I had in my life was touring with my one year old. <laughs> um, that, that was, that probably topped it. That topped it the toughest day on Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> Just one, one day with a toddler on a tour bus, switching hotels every night and performing and getting to the venues and rehearsing was, uh, was very hard. Uh, so I, uh, you know, and then the pandemic. So I kind of, uh, I kind of paused on, on all the dance related activities there. And now just recently, as as you know, I have an eight-year-old son and five-year-old daughter, and I would love them to dance, not necessarily become dancers, not at all, but I would love them to get the benefits of dancing physically and socially. Uh, but my son doesn't want to take any classes, so I decided to open my own classes. So I just have few for my son's age and for my daughter's age, uh, and I really do it for them. It's an opportunity for me to spend time with my kids, to do what I love, to give my kids and their friends and whoever comes to the class, um, what I think the biggest benefit of dancing would be. So um, so it's it's a very rewarding experience. I just started that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so that's what it is. And to be honest with you, I'm kind of um, I'm kind of open to the next chapter of my life because I feel a lot of people feel that, you know, the pandemic is over, uh, particularly you know, for me, few things came together. My dance career, as you know, it's like athlete's career. Our career finishes the performing career when we are 35, 40, mm -hmm. the latest. So the end of my career came also with having kids and with the pandemic. So I feel like now uh, I'm starting a new chapter in my life. And the first thing I did was for me, the most obvious, I wanted to do something for my kids that also is related to dancing. And and that's how I started classes. I think I saw you teaching. Were you teaching the Michael Jackson thriller dance to everyone? Was, did I see that on your live? 
Yes, I did. I did. It's part part of the. It's just fun for kids. Yes, I did. Yeah. Well, it's the perfect time of the year for that, you know. <laughs> right. Have them get have it ready it's for weird. Halloween. They got to do it in Halloween. Exactly. Yeah. They got to do it for the Halloween. Yes. Yeah, so we're doing it for Halloween, and I'm. I will make sure to include some Christmas stuff next session. So uh, we're going to be going going over themes, but that's kind of just for fun for kids. Some kind of. Um, I would say reward almost. And in between the, that, I'm trying to sneak in all the good stuff, the agility, the the coordination and the, the movement and the, just the love of movement to music in those kids. Right. That's pretty much what, what I'm advice, to do. What advice would you give to young people wanting to pursue a professional dance career? You know, I feel like it would be the same advice to anyone who advice to anyone who pursues any career. Um, you know, if you if you really love it, and if this is something that you cannot live without, do it. If you can live without it, do something else because it's one of the hardest things, uh, one of the hardest career in the world. Because, uh, as I mentioned, it's not only sport. It's an art as well. And you're putting all this incredible amount of work. Your career is done. It has an expiration date, let's say that. Um, so you will you will need to keep that in mind as you dance. But if you love it, and if there's nothing else you can do that makes you happy and that makes you tick, you do it because it's the most incredible thing. It was for me, and I don't regret not even a second of it because it was what I loved. I feel like I got lucky with dancing with the stars, but you know what, if you love something uh, and if you work hard on that, the luck will come to you. Yeah. Uh, so just, uh, you know, stick with it, work hard. Don't let anyone tell you that you are not fit for it because guess what? I've seen so many talented people that didn't go anywhere. And I've seen so many people uh, young dancers growing up with me that didn't seem like anything special and they went very far and they were very successful in it. Yeah, well, that's, those are good words, good words. Edita, you've been a real joy to have on today. How can people find you out there on the interwebs? Uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and it's uh, Edita Slovenska. Uh, I go by my original name. I'm Edita Mazo now. I took my husband's name. Uh, but I'm Edita Slovenska on all social media, Facebook Edita Slovenska official and Instagram Edita Slovenska. And so is Twitter. So pretty simple. Do you have a .com? Can people get you on a website? Yes, it's also editaslovenska.com. All right, good deal. <laughs> Straightforward. So as long Perfect. as you can spell my first and last name, you got it. <laughs> we'll make sure to put it in the show notes so it's spelled correctly. <laughs> Um, Edita, great right. to have you on. I hope you come back again and let's stay in touch for sure. Thank you. It was a pleasure to talk to you. We'll talk soon. Take care. Take care. Hi, I'm Father Daniel DePlantis, a Catholic priest, martial artist, and host of the Karate Priest Podcast. Have you ever wondered what the church teaches about different topics? Are you a martial arts enthusiast or just someone who wants to learn more about martial arts? I'd like to invite you to join me and many guests on my podcast as we cover topics of faith, 
everyday living, and martial arts on the Karate Priest Podcast. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please be sure to rate and review this episode. This podcast is produced by Todd Fisher and Anthony Smith and is distributed by Metacortex Publishing. This podcast is copyright. Any previously trademarked or copyright content is used by permission. Information and opinions stated in this podcast should not be construed as medical advice. Please be sure and visit the official website for Metacortex Publishing at metacortexpublishing.com or find us on social media for other unique content.